You're listening to a DM podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Podcast. My name is Wendell Hussey. I've got Effie Bateman with me here in the studio as well. And today, Effie, we have quite an esteemed guest. We do. We get a lot of big names rolling through here. Today, we have one of Australia's greatest exports. I think it's fair to say. I think that's very fair to say. She's a movie star. She's recognised globally. We have Angela White in the studio. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You have quite a portfolio and quite a few uh, strings to the bow. How would you describe yourself in terms of categories? Are we talking movie star, you own your own production label, Mm -hmm. you create content, you're potentially maybe becoming a podcaster. Maybe. You've had a run at politics. Fingers and many pies. Yes, and many people. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good to start. (laughs) How would you describe yourself or what would your what would you give as a title? The easiest wrap-up is I am a porn performer, director and mm-hmm. producer. A lot of people will obviously recognise the Australian accent if they have seen your videos. You are one of our greatest exports, as I just mentioned. Could you tell us a little bit about how the journey from Australia over to the States came about? Well, pornography was something that I wanted to get into from a very young age, a little bit too young maybe, some might argue. But it was something that really intrigued me because when I developed sexually, I was so excited to express and explore my sexuality. Mm. And I started doing so in high school and was heavily criticized for it. And pornography was the first space that I saw where women were being celebrated for having sex with multiple people of varying genders. And it was actually the first media form where I saw my body being represented and celebrated because back then, this was before plus size modeling was really a thing. When there was a curvy woman on television, she was always the butt of every joke. So pornography was the first space that I saw my body being represented and what I wanted to do and express being celebrated. So I saw porn for the first time in high school in Australia and I thought this is what I want to do. What are we talking? Are we talking on a Nokia phone? Are we talking a Motorola (laughs) Razor? What was the first experience? I remember my first experience with pornography. I found my dad's nudie mags when I was six because I had an older neighbour who said, I bet your dad, my dad has a bottom drawer. Let's have a look. And there there was a lot of things in the bottom drawer. By older neighbour, do you mean like a couple? Oh, she was nine. She was nine and I was six. (laughs) That's good to clarify. That's actually much younger than me. My first porn or at least my first explicit porn was at the age of 14 Mm. so but I was very fascinated by sex even before that so do you remember the book where do I come from I think vaguely. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. cartoon pictures of naked men and women and copulation. I was fascinated by that. So maybe that was my first real porno. Obviously, I didn't know how to masturbate <laughs> back then, but yeah. that was the first time that I really saw penises and vulvas and started my fascination with sex and sexuality. And also, I found it so interesting that sex was very hidden. Mm. Like my mum was very open with me about sex. Whenever I asked her about anything to do with sex and Mm. sexuality, she would tell me the truth about it. And she sat me down and gave me the talk. And when I would go to school and talk about sex with 
my peers, they had all these really weird ideas about what sex was. And when I said babies come from, you know, intercourse, they said, no, 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 that's not how it happens. So there was, I was, I also found sex fascinating because it was such a taboo topic, even at at, at any age, really. And it still is Mm. quite taboo, even though things are changing. Um, so I was that kind of weird kid at the back of the library reading Where Did I Come From and looking at those cartoon imagery of, of people having sex. And then at 14 I was introduced to magazines mm-hmm. and somebody had stolen a parent's VHS. So I saw yeah. a really weird porno where the, the guy was, we- was standing in the corner wearing a lampshade. And had oh. sex wearing the lampshade the entire time. Oh, that's so yeah, that was my introduction. My Are we introduction. talking on his head? On his head, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then um, it was a penthouse, letter, uh, penthouse letters mm. that I saw. And that was, for me, it was captivating because there was a spread of this woman and she was looking directly down the lens with this huge smile on her face. Like she just looked so happy. And I found that really appealing both erotically and as someone who was trying to express and explore their own sexuality. Mm. I just found it really exciting that there could be this space where women were able to be naked and sexy and sexual and be glamorized rather than criticized. Yeah, interesting. And so taking those next steps forward, how long was the process before you headed over to the States? Is there much of an industry in Australia that you were trying to crack or how did it kind of evolve? Yeah, my first scene was actually in America. By 14, I knew that pornography was something that I wanted to do, but obviously the legal age is 18. Mm -hmm. So I waited till I was 18. So I had those four years to really research the companies that I wanted to work for and what I wanted to achieve. So by the time I turned 18, I'd already decided Mm -hmm that I was going to send my handwritten letter at the time. I had a disc of amateur photos that my friends had taken and I sent this company a handwritten letter saying that I really wanted to get into the industry. And the rest is really history. They flew me across the world Hmm. to shoot my first scenes. And I was just turned 18, still in high school, never been overseas by myself before. It was an exhilarating experience. Really? So at yeah. 18, they took the pun and said, come over here, yep. let's go. At 18, yeah. Yeah, right. That must have felt surreal. Right. It was incredible. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible, especially growing up and being slut-shamed and criticised for expressing myself and, and really being criticised for something that felt core to who mm. I am and then feeling that validation from this company saying, we we want you, come over, we're, we're going to shoot you and doing something that I'd always dreamed of doing. Mm. It was absolutely a dream. Mm. I find it interesting that you you kept your real name. Yeah. And I must say, like, it's actually the perfect porn name, right? Because you've got Sasha Gray, <laughs> is it Tori, Tori Black, yep. is that one as yes. well? Yes. So what made you keep your name instead of having a, uh, a fake name? It was really a political move at that point. Like, mm. I was so confident in my sexuality and I'm proud of what I do. Even before I did, I was like, this is something I want to do. I don't want to hide behind an alias. I don't think that sex is shameful or should be – I shouldn't have any embarrassment about Mm. my sexuality. So I decided to use my real name. Yeah. It turns out it was a good (laughs) – Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It has worked out (laughs) pretty well. Um, 
In terms of landing 18 in America, LA, I'm assuming? It was actually Miami, Florida. Miami, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. And what did that look like? Because you hear stories about plenty of Australians, whether it's sports or movies mm. or music, you know, packing up and moving over yeah. to the States and hitting the ground running and being kind of blown away and trying to figure out and find their feet. I think Iggy Azalea, yeah. uh, 16, yeah. packed up and went over to the States as an example. What did it kind of look like for you over there? Were you living the dream? Was there... Was was it tough? Was it a tough grind for the first couple of years? Well, How did it play out? I actually didn't move over there at that point. I mean, oh, I you still, just flew I, over yeah, for shoot. I just flew over for right. shooting. I had to come back and finish high school. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so for many, many years, I was still based in Australia and going back and forth from Australia and the US, shooting yeah. in the US. And you did ask before about what the industry yeah. uh, was like here in Australia. At that time, it was very. It was a very small industry. It was very grassroots, independent, actually very feminist, queer-focused space. Really? Yes, mm. absolutely. And uh, the, I did shoot for the companies that were here at the time. And mm. at the time, there was also Picture Magazine and People Magazine, all those glam mags. Zoo Mag. So, yeah, Zoo Mag. Rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> yes. So, so I, did, I did the rounds on the Australian circuit. But in terms of making a career out of it, L.A., is the headquarters of porn production globally. Yeah. So LA was really where I needed to be yeah. and where I finally moved. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And when you finally moved there, what was it like? How was the process? It was fantastic. It yeah. was, you know, when I finally moved, that's when my my brand and my name really skyrocketed. Yeah. When I was able to be consistently shooting for the big companies, yeah. that was huge for me. But even before that, um, I had started – I realized that the best way for me to express myself and to create the porn that I wanted to see was to create my own production company. So before I even moved, I created my own production company. I was flying across from Australia to LA, shooting content, bringing it back, getting it all edited and, yeah. and onto my website at the time before before OnlyFans became yeah. the, the big platform that all the performers use. But yeah, and um, very early on, I, I got my own DVD distribution line, my own flashlight, which is a male masturbation sleeve toy. So yeah, it was it was a real exciting journey, and it's still exciting. Yeah. So you knew early on that you wanted to start your own production company. No, 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 no. The career aspect of it came later. Yeah. So I just got into it for the love of sex. Yep. I really just wanted a space that was safe where I could explore my sexuality yep. with like-minded peers because that's – I really felt ostracized in high school for the way I was treated when I was just being true to myself. Yeah. So porn was this space where I was like, okay, this is where I can be myself with like-minded peers. So it was just – Shooting for other companies was a lot of fun and still is a lot of fun. But I realized without having my own production company, I was still bringing their vision of sexuality to life. And so creating my own production company was a way for me to control everything. So that meant I could – I choose the locations. I choose the makeup artist. I choose the wardrobe. I choose my on-screen partners. I choose the camera operator, the photographer. It really – all the finer details I got to control and create a product that I was really proud of and that I wanted to see. I'm still really proud of everything that I created for, for other companies, but I was helping them bring their mm. vision of sex to life. So you're essentially doing what Taylor Swift did – uh, with her re-records, yeah, right? Yeah, it's Angela's version. Yeah, right. Angela's <laughs> <laughs> 
very good. <laughs> Do you you have people coming wanting to shoot for your production company as well, or is it your own just your own content that you do? I do a bit of everything right yep. now. So I am contracted to the biggest porn company in the world, which is Brazzers. So for my professional studio-based porn, I shoot only for Brazzers at this current stage. And then I shoot for my own production company mm-hmm. as well. So I hire talent to work with me for um, DVDs, believe it or not. They yeah. still sell really well in the States, yes. And those scenes Blu-rays are, or just a generic DVD? Just a generic DVD, yeah. I mean, there are still parts of the States where the internet isn't, you know, great. <laughs> and buying an actual DVD is a better option. And there are still collectors. There are pe- there are fans that collect the physical product. They love to have the DVD in their hand. That's awesome. So so DVD hey, and look, then... That's an experience, putting a DVD on as a movie and yeah. sitting down on the couch. Right. That's an experience. <laughs> so, and then those scenes that I shoot for any yeah. movies like that then get re-released now on my OnlyFans because that's really the platform mm. that has exploded since the pandemic. So what have you found like the difference with OnlyFans versus like the traditional way of doing it? I think that OnlyFans, I feel like it's really changed the game. Mm. I think it's empowered performers more because now every performer is also a content creator and their own director and producer. They've got more control, yeah. Absolutely, and they're creating content that allows them to have a passive income for the rest of their life. Whereas before when... I mean, obviously, I was in a different boat because I had already become a director and producer, but a lot of performers were only performing. So it was really active income. They were, they're not making royalties from their scenes. They're just getting that one-day pay for their scene, and that's it. Whereas now, pretty much any performer is creating content that they can get a revenue from for the rest of their lives. So I think it's been an incredible thing for performers in the industry. Mm. Mm. You're ahead of the game in that respect. In terms of rates, I understand there'd be a whole range, right, Mm -hmm. and a whole spectrum. But say for just someone starting out, what average weights can be quite low, can't they? Like we're talking a few hundred bucks or can it it, it range? Isn't it more the more hectic the scene, the more you get paid? So I will say that rates have actually increased because of OnlyFans as well. Because they have to be competitive? Exactly. Because... If you can make just as much, if not more money, setting up a ring light and an iPhone in your bedroom, why would you come to set? You know, but it's actually made it so that the performers that are coming to set are coming because they really love it. They love the lights, camera action. They love the community building aspect of being on set with a big crew. Um, they like maybe potentially doing the scripts and the longer days where you create. Stuck in the washing machine. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> A classic, yeah. iconic. Um, but yeah, I, so I think even starting out, rates are higher than they used to be. Um, I Honestly, I am in a little bit of a cushy position right now because I'm on contract rates and so my rates are much higher. So I don't know what exactly the rates are yep. now for yep. for newbie but certainly there are performers that are using their social media platforms as a way to get bigger rates as well because yep. people mm. are building their brands on social media if you already come with a brand and a fan base of yep. hundreds of thousands of followers then you can demand a higher rate yep. when you're coming and shooting for studio based porn mm. I did want to quickly ask about your followers actually how mm. you've managed to amass such a huge amount of followers mm. considering 
doing, you're essentially shadow, shadow banned. Shadow banned, yeah. Which, if people don't know, it's you try and search it and you try and find the profile, you just cannot find it on social media accounts. Really? Or you can find it, obviously, because millions of people have found it, but it's yeah. very, very yeah. difficult yeah. to go and do it. So how hard has that process been? And Because you've got yeah. a big following on TikTok as well, which yeah. they're very quick. And I don't quick. even upload on there, I should. They're very quick to shadow yeah. ban. Yeah, mm. it's, it's been really difficult to grow. Um, I think my fans are incredibly loyal. So it has been great that my fans always seek out, you know, my real social mm. media accounts. But the shadow banning, the, the worst part about it isn't that it's harder to grow. It's actually that the shadow banning allows fake catfish yeah. accounts mm. to run wild and scam my fans, which is a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they're not cracking down on those accounts. They're no. just stopping the yeah. real account from being found, which is quite confusing. Can you get a blue tick? If I you... do have the blue okay, tick. Okay, cool. So mm. it's it's crazy. So <laughs> I've got yeah. the blue tick, but I'm still shadow banned. If you type in my name into Instagram, it's very, very difficult to mm. find me. Yeah. You mentioned the washing machine there. You mentioned the lampshade in the yeah. first video that you watched. I wanted to know, this You know, this could be ones that have been suggested that have been turned down or ones you've been a part of. What are some of the weirdest and Ooh, wackiest plots that's a good question. you've had? Well, there's always the classics, you know, pizza delivery, yeah. plumber. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't have any sink. money. Oh, yeah. how am I paying? How, <laughs> how can I repay you <laughs> yeah, with yeah. no money? Um, I actually did a great one for browsers called Porn Logic, where it made fun of all of yeah. those. Oh, yeah, cool. So it was like a spoof. A spoof yeah. Porno. yeah. Yeah, that's a funny one. Um, in terms of, oh, I don't know. See, everything that seems weird to other people is so normal mm. to me. So I see scripts that I'm just like, oh, okay, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there have been, I know um, one of my performer friends actually did one where instead of being stuck in the washing machine, she was stuck in one of those cat scratches, which is just, it's it's just so ridiculous. Aren't they really small? Yeah, or? yeah, it, d- it didn't make any sense. Uh, but I think that was what <laughs> made it. It's also Hello. impressive to get into it. Yeah. Cat yeah. As well. I think she just had her head through it, but Yeah. I like the lemon stealing whores. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was the one where yeah. where there's these women who keep that one, stealing no, <laughs> they, they keep, keep stealing, stealing lemons. these lemons and he's oh. like stop stealing my lemons. Yeah. And that's the whole premise and he has to punish them for stealing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything can be a pawn for You'll have to link yeah. me that yeah. one yeah. later, <laughs> I think. Um <laughs> Sorry, he's a bit flustered. <laughs> the lemon stealing. In terms of those narratives and stuff, like you say, you've got your own, you've got your own production company, but you're contracted for Brazzers. What does this negotiation process look like in terms of going like, I don't want to do that, or consent, or all that sort of stuff? Because I think a lot of people have a perception, whatever it is, of porn that they don't quite understand that there are so many things behind mm-hmm. the scenes, boxes that get ticked, and negotiation yeah. process and consent, etc., that goes forward and goes into that production could you give us a bit of an insight into how that works and how much you have to do before you hit press play on a camera sure it's actually very corporate and there's a lot of compliance that we have to go through so even before a scene is booked i have an agent so the company will contact my agent and send the script and say is angela willing to do the script so i'll go over the script they'll send me the proposed scene partner and so i even before i get on set i'm agreeing to the sex act that we're doing on the day then once i get to set 
every single day on set, we have to prove that we're, we're over the age of 18. Doesn't matter how many yeah. years yeah. we've you been doing You've got to turn up with ID. Yeah. You've got yeah. to turn up with two forms of government-issued yeah. IDs, and we have to fill out paperwork, consent forms. And now we actually do a consent boundary checklist as well. Mm. So the performers will sit down with a talent liaison, and we go through a very extensive list of all the potential sex acts that could happen within the scene. So it goes from kissing, nipple pinching, vaginal penetration, anal penetration, object insertion, pegging, rimming. The list is hmm. quite extensive. And so we say there's the option to say yes, no, or there's a clarification. So for spanking, I might say yes, but light. Yeah. Also, this list is just to give your on-screen partner an idea of what your hard nose are, what you like. The talent liaison is there as your advocate uh, throughout the scene. So they watch the scene. So if at any point one of your boundaries is crossed, they are there to cut the scene and actually come in and make sure the performers are okay. It's actually never happened mm. while I've been on set, yeah. but yeah, it's, right. it's good to have it there. And then the performers always have the right to cut a scene at any moment, whether it's for a water break they're having a cramp they might change their mind middle of the scene that actually no I don't want any more hair pulling whatever it might yeah. be so performers ultimately have the power to stop a scene at any moment but yeah there's a lot of paperwork and then yeah. also there's the testing protocols that we go through mm. which you cannot shoot a scene without a 14 day test so because I shoot so much I'm testing for a full STI panel every 12 days is that like blood tests and everything? That's blood, yeah. urine, swabs. So we're doing throat swabs, vaginal swabs, yeah. anal swabs every 12 every days. Every 12 days. Every 12 wow. days. There you go. I'm assuming that has evolved over time, not the STI checks, the process for consent and all that sort of stuff. I'm assuming that's evolved a lot over the last even five to ten years. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The, the boundary consent checklist, those really – were implemented by the major companies after the Me Too movement. So mm -hmm. while the mainstream industry was having its Me Too movement, the porn industry also had its own yeah. Me Too movement. And it was it was great for the industry because it weeded out any unethical players and yeah. really made companies step up and take performer safety very seriously. And I'd love to give a shout out to Kink because kink.com actually had these consent lists from the very beginning. Mm. They It wasn't you yeah. know, an afterthought of the, the yeah. Me Too movement. So, But now it's great that the entire industry, or at least the big players, I yeah. should say, uh, have their own consent checklists and, and they go through to make sure that performers yeah. are doing the things that they want to do. I mean, porn should be fun. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole point. It, yeah, should, yeah. it should be fun. Yeah. 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 That reckoning post Me Too movement that was industry wide was there were there big names that went falling down like how did it did it kind of really reshape the landscape or was it, it just changes that happened? It did. I mean, uh, there were certainly some directors that were called out for inappropriate behaviour on set, and the big companies really, you know, obviously they care about performer safety but obviously from a liability point of view mm -hmm. you know it's we want to make sure that performers are not under duress are doing it out of their own free will and are always doing things that they enjoy mm. yeah and so I think it's I think it's been great for the industry to yeah. have that yeah because I imagine like you you get you know people who were just 18 and it's very easy to influence them to do things so I imagine it it has been has improved the industry a lot I think so. Yeah. So I've been doing it for 20 years. So when mm. I started, there were no talent liaisons. There no, were no uh, boundary checklists or anything like that. But I've always been a very good advocate of 
uh, my own boundaries. Mm. And I think that even with these checklists, I think it's very important for anyone who does enter the industry that they are very good at saying Mm. no. You Mm. need to have that confidence to be able to say an enthusiastic yes and, uh, and a you know, very strong no. When these um, boundary checklists, when we do it, the talent liaison is there to make sure that like there's no pressure on anyone to do certain things. Obviously, anything that you agree to during those boundary checklists, you can you know, retract consent mm. at any point during the scene if mm. you've decided, actually, not today. Yeah. Yeah. So there's obviously all of that sort of stuff goes into the um, into the background of making the content. It's very curated. Do you get frustrated when you kind of hear porn, I guess, being labelled as something that influences young men or influences kids poorly, etc.? The same way that, you know, we hear rap groups in Western Sydney get hammered and get cracked down on because the lyrics incite violence, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of those things, yeah, they get hit with the influences that they have on people when things like, you know, movies and video games and all that sort of stuff, no one, you know, calls for a a diehard to be taken off the screens (laughs) because it influences someone (laughs) to go and shoot someone or, or, you know, video games, et cetera. Do you get frustrated by that? I do, I do, because porn is entertainment. Mm. It's made by adults for adults and you don't watch Fast and the Furious to learn how to drive. You don't watch porn to learn how to have sex. That's just the reality of it. And I think it's putting too much pressure on porn to be educational. That's the role of parents. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you don't have parents pull someone aside after yeah one of those action movies and be like, hey, just so you know, you shouldn't <laughs> actually shoot like four or five people in the head if yeah. they cross you in a business yeah. deal, just so you're aware. Yeah, don't drive your car off the bridge and think it's going to land on land the other on side. Land on another yeah. bridge. Yeah. It's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, I think yeah. it's silly that – why is porn having this responsibility laid upon it? It's for adults. Mm. Look, my favourite type of porn to shoot is when it's as real as possible. Mm. I love that. But it's still a product and mm. it sh- it's made for adults and it should be watched by adults. And I think that what we really need to be talking about there is um, age-appropriate sex education and porn literacy. And mm. that is the responsibility of parents. Yeah. You had a little tilt at politics back in the day and the way you just spoke there sounded like a, um, a, a great kind of piece of advice and information for the general public. Is that something you think you'll ever have another go at or is porn, that too far behind? Oh, my behind? God, no. Like, okay, politics is dirtier than porn. <laughs> Much dirtier. I, I think I'll I'll think I think I'll stick to the dirty dirtiness of porn. Uh, look, it was it was a great experience. Yeah. I will say it 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 really opened my eyes to how the whole system works. Which I don't know. Maybe I was better off before that. But <laughs> um, but you know I. I achieved what I needed to achieve with that mm. campaign and mm. all I I didn't want to get into politics like if I had won the seat I don't know what I would have done with myself I really just wanted to draw attention to the fact oh, that look you yeah. could have just hung around there for like 10 to 15 years on a backbench salary and then just take up a contract with I don't know a bank or a defense oh. firm or something like that maybe I've Been made a big mistake yeah, 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 yeah. it's easy easy as you can go get pierced fall over on the street yeah. no worries at all um, no yeah. I think it, it's more fun getting fucked for a living (laughs) instead of fucking people yeah right fucking other people over yeah Yeah. yeah. but um no that that campaign i just wanted to draw attention to the greens candidate which was kathleen maltzen at the time who was running on an anti-sex work Mm. um, Mm. campaign she was trying to close all the brothels in melbourne um to save the women to save the workers which as we know it would just go underground and then they're not getting looked after 
that's very yeah. Greens, inner city Greens behaviour. But, yeah. but at the time, I felt like, I mean, Greens is usually progressive yeah, and yeah, they've yeah. been mm. pretty sex positive for the most yeah. part. At the time, I was really shocked yeah. that they were running Kathleen Motson. Mm. Yeah. But, but anyway, I achieved what I needed to achieve, which was drawing attention to her and drawing some votes away from her. Yeah. So yeah. we won. <laughs> Job done. Yeah. So, you know, reading about you um, – You've said that you found it difficult being a feminist and a porn advocate and that people think that you can't be both. Mm -hmm. What sort of – what would you say to that? Well, I will say I'm not a porn advocate. I'm I'm sex positive and I think adults should be able to do what they want with their own bodies, with other consenting adults. Yeah. So I'm very much – I'm sex positive. And I know, like, when I say I'm not a porn advocate, I think – Porn is the perfect job for some people. Like mm. people like me who are exhibitionists who love sex, I think it's a great job for someone like me. I don't think it's a great job for everybody. So yeah. when we go through these debates and there's sort of like the anti-porn side, it's erroneous to call the other side the pro-porn side mm. because it's yeah. like it's not that I'm pro-pornography for everyone. Like I mean there are mm. obviously many pro-sex feminists but – Yeah, it's difficult because there's so many myths that surround the porn industry and there's still that tired old debate about women in the industry are only there because they're drug addicted, they have no other options. Um, And there's sort of an assumption behind that that, oh, well, women couldn't possibly just love sex. Like a Mm. woman couldn't possibly just want to get into the industry because they get to do something that they love and get paid for it. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's always this perception there's got to be some reason why they're doing, you know, compensating with something or whatever. the The same thing doesn't happen for men like male performers are never asked like do you feel victimized or degraded yeah. <laughs> it's assumed it's like do? oh they they want to have sex so they have lots of sex yeah yeah I, I never really hear whether male performers have like mummy issues yeah you know you, know, you always hear like the daddy issues and yeah. you don't hear the mummy yeah. issues for the male performers yeah. you also have a first class honors degree in gender studies yes i believe you went into the experiences in the australian pornography industry yeah how was that process putting together i'm assuming ten thousand words twenty thousand words oh, it was so long ago i don't remember i think maybe it was ten thousand, but yeah. don't quote me yeah it was it was actually a great experience so i really enjoyed doing qualitative research doing interviews with um, women in the australian pornography industry and it was really fascinating just to hear the ways that the porn industry changed their sexuality and the way they viewed it because a lot of the women went into the pornography industry having a certain idea about what their sexuality was Mm. so to give you an example um one of the women identified as firmly heterosexual she had a boyfriend had no interest in having sex with women so when she got booked for a lesbian scene she was essentially what we call in the industry gay for pay she was just you know going through the motions for the money for for the product and during the scene she loved it like she was so turned on had orgasms was just completely overtaken by the pleasure and her whole sense of her own identity was ruptured Mm. through performing in porn she was like fuck am I by like what am I now so I think it's it's really interesting that porn is a very unique environment where you can explore your sexuality and do things that you wouldn't necessarily have done like there potentially she could have gone through life never knowing that Mm. she liked having sex with women because if you're firmly identifying as heterosexual at what point are you just gonna 
hey, whatever, let me just try and have sex with a woman. Yeah. It's it's very unique in that way. So that was one of the findings from the work that I did for my thesis. I wanted to ask as well about the porn community. So, for example, whether it's LA or Miami or Australia, is it a tight-knit community? Is there a lot of friendships within it? It's very, very tight-knit. And, in fact, because in many ways we're so ostracised from the outside world and our job is so yeah, unique right. that it makes us even tighter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, of course, like any community, there's also, like, competition and things like that as yeah. well. We we really do have each other's backs. Yeah, yeah it's a great community to yeah. be involved in, especially like being around your peers that think the same as you because not everybody not, – not everybody can even understand the idea of having sex with uh, different people for work, mm. which I understand. It's, it's a unique job. But only people within the porn industry can really understand what it's like. Yeah. Do you ever forget – when you're outside of that circle and you'll be talking to someone generally and just say something that to you is normal and they're just taken aback and they're like, what? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah all the yeah. time. But I think I, I actually don't try and hold myself back with that because yeah. I think it's um, – I think that we should be talking more about sex. Mm. I think we should normalise talking about sex. I think we'll all be having better sex <laughs> yeah. if we if we talk about it more. But yes, certainly. (laughs) Who are some of the characters aside from like off screen? I'm talking just in terms of huge personalities or fun people to hang around with or I don't know. Is there so many? Yeah, there's so many. Um, I really love hanging out with some of the older directors as well that have seen the way the industry has changed over time. I think that's always really fascinating having conversations with them. But certainly just, I mean, a lot of. people within the industry are just fun people because yeah. they're, they're very open-minded. Most people that get into the industry have an yeah. open mind. So it's fun to hang out with. And we do have industry parties. So yeah. that's, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's always so fun. fun. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a lot of fun. And yeah. then the biggest party is the Avian Awards, yeah. mm. which is held every year in January in Vegas. And that's the time when the entire industry gets together to celebrate all of our achievements. That is... A wild, wild yeah. ride. That's the week where Vegas gets the porn community there because so many awards nights and event seasons are held there in Vegas and people just descend there yeah. for the week. So it'd be, it'd be funny to see porn week when it's just the AVN nights and there's the whole communities descending and it's having great. fun in Vegas. It's yeah. a super fun week. It starts So the week starts off with the porn convention, so that's where we get to meet all our fans. So it's a great opportunity for, to, for fans to yeah. meet their favourite performers because we're all in one spot. Yeah. And then every night there's parties and then it ends with the actual avian awards night which is always really exciting yeah Yeah. cool i wanted to ask whether you have had many dms from blue tick accounts outside Mm. of the industry do you have notable people going (laughs) i'm going to shoot my shot with angela white because i'm in la for the weekend or i'm just going to shoot my shot with angela white do you have many blue tick dms i have quite a lot of blue tick dms yeah yeah Yeah. You probably cannot and will not name any, but yeah. are there any hints you can give us or any kind of... Or you, household uh, names. House, proper household yeah, names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, a lot of athletes. I'm, yeah, yeah. I assume athletes. A lot yeah. of musical artists. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had politicians? I have. 
<laughs> like Australian politicians or no. American? Yeah, American. But Australian athletes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yep. 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 absolutely. Yep. Oh, I cannot wait to stop the <laughs> microphone. As soon as we stop recording, I must know. I assume we must. Uh, there you go. So do you let him go through to the keeper or are you like... I don't bother answering. Yeah. Yeah. But every now and then some get a response. Sometimes. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> hey. When when your celebrity crush slides into your DMs, you respond. Yeah. 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 So who's your celebrity? <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I think that's why I yeah don't really respond to any because when he slid in, I was like, well, I'm I'm good. That I've reached the pinnacle. It's that's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All sorted. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, Angela, I thank you very much for stopping in to the little town of Batuta, the Desert Rock FM studios. It was a very informative and fun chat. And, um, yeah, we're going to hit stop on that uh, <laughs> on the recording. And all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Woo!